You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind the scenes juice on this season of Bachelor in Paradise and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 355. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. One of the more important podcasts you'll hear me do. It is part two of my conversation with Casey Costa. You heard her last week. This week is a completely different interview. Last week, we just talked about the show that she was on. This week, we talk about her book, Cinderella Girl, which she self-published, and it came out this past May, and it is all about her rough, rough upbringing. We'll get to all that momentarily. So I wanted to have Casey on to discuss all this because it was very important. You only see what a television show editor allows you to see about contestants on a reality show. And when I heard about Casey's book, Cinderella Girl, you can get purchase it on Amazon. I've always thought that, okay, there's more to this woman than meets the eye. And I had no idea what I was getting into. I had an, I had kind of an idea based on what she has said on Instagram and TikTok, but it is way deeper and way worse than you can imagine. Not the greatest childhood at all. It might be triggering to some people, so you've been forewarned, but I would really take the time to read this book. I read it in three hours. It's 150 pages. Go get it. Purchase it on Amazon. Support Casey because... What you saw on television is a woman that has been through so much in her life that she was able to overcome, and it's just very, very impressive, to be honest with you, because as I told her on the podcast, her life could have turned out way different than it did, and I mean way different, but she was able to persevere through it and now thriving, and the fact that she's got a million followers on TikTok She's very funny. She's got a great following, supporters. I mean, it's, and she helps. She helps put this stigma, she helps get rid of the stigma behind divorce and being a single mom. Most of her TikTok stuff is very single mom related, and that's what she is. So all props to her. I think you're going to find a completely different side of her when you listen to today's podcast. Before we get to it, I just wanted to uh, bring up a couple things Please go listen to like the first, I mean, if you don't want to obviously listen to the whole thing, but in the first five or six minutes of today's daily roundup, I talk about a story that I was made aware of two nights ago. And I think it's very possible by the time that you are listening to this, it might already be out there publicly. If it is, I do think it's going to get out there publicly probably today. If not, then maybe tomorrow. And when it does, I will retweet it, repost it, put it on my Instagram stories and say, this is what I was talking about. And then in tomorrow's daily roundup, I will explain kind of the backstory of why I did not run with this. But just to be very clear, as I made it as clear as I could this morning on the daily round, I'll make it clear again right here. This story has nothing to do with any contestant, producer, host, key grip, boom mic person, nobody in bachelor nation. So, 
Um, get that out of your mind. It has nothing to do with any couples. It has nothing to do with a breakup or cheating, anything like that. This is a very, very serious story. It is very serious in nature, and you will understand why I'm even talking about this once the story gets out there. It's just I feel very uncomfortable being the first person to publicly put it out there. And I say that even though there is information out there publicly about this story right now, it's just not, um, I guess, mainstream media public. It's social media public. And if you did a deep dive on certain uh, websites, you would be able to find out this information. But that's just... I don't know. Uh, I, you know, I, I will talk about assuming the story comes out today. I will talk about it in tomorrow's daily roundup. And you'll you'll understand why I've been so hesitant the last couple days to dive into something like this. Um, it's just not a good story. It's not a positive story. But again, it does not have to do with anybody in Bachelor Nation. It does have to do with somebody that is associated with somebody in bachelor nation or was in the past. So you'll know, I, it's, it's the best I can tell you. Once you hear the story and know the story and see the headline, you'll understand. And I'll talk about it a little bit more tomorrow, but just bear with me on this. Trust me. Um, it's just, it's just not a good, it's not a good story. Um, Joey is shooting, um, some of his intro video tomorrow in Collegeville, Pennsylvania. If you're near the area and you're, if you're near Collegeville, Oh crap, I deleted the picture. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> he's going to be at the Collegeville Italian bakery, pizzeria, Napolitana tomorrow, starting at 10 30 AM. They're inviting the community to join us starting at 10 30 AM where he's going to be shooting some of his intro videos. So no, his season has not started. They're not filming in Collegeville, at least Friday. Not That's not part of the show. It's just part of his intro package. So I'm assuming he's going to be at the pizzeria, probably handing out roses to screaming fans. So if you want to be one of those screaming fans and possibly be part of Joey's intro package, by all means, head down there and check it out. I don't know how close Collegeville is to a major city, but if you want to go, it's tomorrow, 10.30 a.m., the Italian Bakery Pizzeria Napolitana in Collegeville. So check that out if you're interested. And as I mentioned numerous times and again on the Daily Roundup today, by the time you're listening to this, I will be on a plane to Las Vegas for my annual guys trip, first week of NFL season. Can't wait. We'll be very excited. Yes, I am wearing my new evolution t-shirt right now. Maybe I'll show some of it when I, maybe I'll show it when I get off the plane and I'm just so excited. Um, it's always a fun trip. Good to see the guys and probably be sharing some photos and video from the cabana tomorrow because they have the greatest chicken tenders. I'm sure I'm going to tag Dave Neal and his wife in it and, Courtney Robertson and her husband in it because they were with me in June at this cabana and it was so much fun and they were obsessed with the chicken tenders as well. Hell, I might even tag Jenny Garth and Tori Spelling showing them my new Evolution t-shirt. How about that? I might even tag Alan Toy. I think that's his name. Is it Alan Toy? I should have 
I should have looked it up before I said his name. Yes, his name was Alan Toy. He played Professor Finley on 90210 and started the new evolution. And I've got a shirt. And negators and externs need not apply. <laughs> I know, I'm a geek. Anyway, that is uh, what I'm looking forward to this weekend. So, yeah, I will I will have some updates. If you're interested, follow along on my, uh, on my Instagram account all weekend long. This podcast brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals, Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preferences. It's the number one meal kit for eating clean with dinners that work for you, not the other way around. Feel your best with nutritionist-approved recipes, including calorie-smart meals, under 700 calories, protein-packed meals with at least 40 grams of protein on average per serving, and flavorful plant-rich vegan and vegetarian meals featuring certified organic produce, good-for-you grains, and plant-based proteins. You know that I love this food service. They are the only thing that can get me to cook anything in my life. The crispy southern chicken is the... Reality Steve Chef's Delight. Let's just call it that. It's it's the best one I can make. I'm not great at cooking, but I can cook this. The instructions are so easy. The crispy southern chicken has mashed potatoes, green beans, and tomato. It is so good. Takes you under 30 minutes to make. So easy. The instructions that come in each box make it so simple to cook this stuff. Even I, one of the worst cooks in America, can make this stuff. So go to greenchef.com slash realitysteve50. Use code realitysteve50 to get 50% off plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash realitysteve50. And use code realitysteve50 to get 50% off plus free shipping. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. All right, let's get going. Podcast number 355, part two. Okay, here she is for part two of our interview. It's Casey Costa from the Big D, and I want to talk completely about something different. We already, everyone heard last week everything that's gone on, uh, what happened on the Big D, everything kind of leading up to it, what has happened in your life post-show. However, back in um, May of this year, just a couple months ago, you had released uh, a book, a, an autobiographical book called Cinderella Girl, and it covers basically everything that's happened in your life, your upbringing, and I wanted to bring you on and talk about it. So, Casey, again, thank you uh, for doing this and coming on. Thank you. I'm excited. I appreciate this. Yeah, this is, um, you know, when I, when you told me you had a book, I I got it, and I can tell you that I don't know how many people that bought your book finished it quicker than I did, but I'd be <laughs> I'd be willing to put myself up against anybody. And say that I'm the winner because I finished it in three hours. So, oh, I, without a doubt, <laughs> with you, definitely you're the reigning champ, without a doubt. Because I think when one of my followers they said that they read it within I think six hours, and I was like, oh my god! And then you told me you read it within a few, and I was like, really? <laughs> I mean, I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. Well, I literally got it. And I got it on a Saturday afternoon and I just started reading it and I didn't put it down and I never took a break. Nobody called me. I didn't have any texts and I just ripped through it. 150 pages. And I got to say, um, this is about as, uh, 
this is a, this has a lot of stuff in it that clearly not a lot of people know about you other than the people yeah. that have already purchased the book. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's so many things to cover. And in the book, you go in a chronological order of your life. But why don't mm-hmm. we why don't we start with this? Why did you write this book? What was the motivation to decide, you know what? I want to share my story because this is not stuff that most people would want to share about their life because I'll be bluntly honest with you. You had a very fucked up childhood. I think you yeah. I think you know that. And yeah. not a lot of people want to talk about that stuff. So what made you want to write the book? That's a good question and I'm glad that you asked it because what pushed me to finally write the book is I have put my life out there on social media and I've I've had a platform on TikTok for quite a while. I've always been very open about my life, all things when it comes to divorce and being a single mom. And, you know, I mean, I filmed a reality show, The Big D on USA Network, and it's televising my entire divorce. And I've always just been open about that publicly. But within my platform and my following, I have had a lot of people ask me about my upbringing and what my childhood was like. And me knowing that my childhood was not healthy um, by any means, that was something that was extremely personal to me. And I felt like I didn't want everyone in the world to know about it. So I refrained from wanting to talk about it or sharing my story publicly on, on the internet, just because I felt that if I were to finally share my story about my childhood, I really only want it to be in the hands and ears of people who kind of have genuinely followed my story on the internet and have, you know, kind of taken a liking to me. And if they want to know more, here's my book about it. Um, Because again, it is such personal information and it really is very, it's a very vulnerable side of me. And it's, it's just something that I don't talk about easily. I never have before. So I wanted to make it not as accessible to everybody. Um, and for those who were genuinely interested, they they could read my book and then they would know my story. So I just kind of wanted to keep it um, less public access, you know, able to be put, you know, able to be accessed, but not as easily accessed by everybody just because of, um, you know, the severity of it and everything. Yeah, because this book um, can be triggering uh, to some people. Yeah. There is very uh, detailed accounts uh, of abuse that took place in your childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just want people to know that going in, um, that this is, this is far from, you know, growing up and having the perfect family in a white picket fence. It's probably the opposite, you know? Yeah. And you're aware of that. But when I'm Mm -hmm. reading it, man, it was, uh, there were some parts that were gut wrenching to read. So, I don't yeah. really know where to start, so we're going to start kind of at the beginning of okay. just tell people um, how it all came about. And and I, I do want to make this clear when you are t- when you mention names on this podcast, these are the same names that you mentioned in the book, but they are protected. None of the names you use in the book and that you're going to use on this podcast are the real names of the actual people Correct. involved. But so just give to, uh, I want to give people and um, an idea behind that and that. You know, you're not doing it. Obviously, the people in your life know who they are in the book, but the average stranger uh, wouldn't. So start off with just um, 
your upbringing, where you were from, and kind of like your family life in the very beginning, uh, as you told it in the book. Yeah, um, correct. Yes. So I, I kept real names out of it. I, um, used, you know, substitute names for everyone in the book. Um, and I mean, basically I was born in St. Helena, California, and um, my, my early years were, were based out of Napa, California. And, you know, early, early on, I pretty much just, I was an only child for the first, you know, you know, first four, you know, I want to say like five, six years of my, or six years of my life. Um, and you know, we, my mom and I, we, we were poor and, and I just, I knew nothing different. It was almost like my best memories were just the smallest things, you know, playing cards with this old woman who lived upstairs. We lived in this basement apartment and it was like, had like three foot doors. It was almost like this dark hobbit basement for my mom and I, and I loved it. And I would go upstairs and there was this woman who lived upstairs. She was she was like a witch in a way. Like she was so, she had all these weird gypsy treasures and her and I would play crazy eights and stuff. And those were my best memories. Um, because you know, my mom left my dad very early on. He, you know, he, he wasn't a very good husband to her and, uh, he cheated on her and they were young, you know, they were in their twenties and it was the early nineties. So, you know, it was like they, all they did was party and drugs and stuff and so they they split early on so it was just my mom and I right away and how, how old exactly were you when your when your dad when your mom left your dad I want to say I was oh gosh I want to say I was about three possibly three when she finally like when she left him left him um you know I I, I think my earliest memory my earliest memory of them when they were together were we lived in a house together and and they would have these big wild ragers. And, um, then I remember them fighting. She found another woman that he had cheated on her with. And so they were fighting. And so when they got in a fight, I, my earliest memory was that my mom was crying in the kitchen. It was, I, it was like pitch black in our house. And I was like three years old and I, I was following her cries and I saw her in the kitchen. She was sitting down on the kitchen floor against a wall. And she just had her knees up and her head was just like in her knees pretty much. And she was crying. And my mom's mom had just passed away too. My mom lost her mom very early. And that's all she had as a parent as well. And she cried. And I, I was only three years old. And I put my hand on her knee to comfort her. And she, she was like, I just want my mom. I was just crying. And I just like... It kills me to know that that was like probably my earliest memory of her, you know, of us, you know, and just for me, I think looking back on it now as an adult, a three-year-old to have to click into gear to like want to comfort somebody at such a young age and to like kind of put your hand on someone for, for comfort and affection for me to do that. It just came, you know, it came natural to me. And so my mom was pretty much all I had because when my mom and my dad split, my mom had told my dad if he tried to go after custody that she would turn all of his friends in who were selling drugs. And, you know, it's like one would think like, oh, I can't believe my dad didn't fight for me. But I don't have any resentment on that just because my dad was young. Like he was young and dumb. He was 20 something, you know. And I mean, guys are... You, 
guys are idiots, you know, especially back then it was just like, you know, cocaine and, you know, and so it's like, I don't hold it against my dad for not fighting harder because it was just, I don't know, the culture then for all of them. So my mom and I, you know, we lived in this little apartment together and we were just, we were just poor, but I knew nothing different. That was just my life. And then my mom met someone and we quickly relocated and moved to South Lake Tahoe. And then that's pretty much just when my life completely changed. Yeah. So that's, that's what I wanted to to get to next. So you guys, yeah. you and your mom are in this apartment, like you said, in the like the basement of an apartment for roughly three years or so. And your mom mm-hmm. meets a man named Jed. And Jed has two kids of his own, uh, Jenny yeah. and Jax. And they yes. they were, what were their ages again when you, uh, in, in comparison to you? They were older so or younger? Jenny was, Jenny was older only by about less than two years. Jenny's older, and then Jeffrey, pretty much same age gap. It's like less than two years. Wait, Jax. Um, oh, Jax, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So Hold I'm on. right in the middle. Like, yeah. So it's basically right in the middle age wise. Pretty much same spacing. So Jenny is about. She's a little less than two years older than me, and then Jax is a little less than two years younger than me. So I'm right in the middle in between them age wise. Gotcha. Okay. So I want to say this. One of the first things that I wrote down when I was reading the book, mm-hmm. I literally think, I, I think it's on, I believe it is on page three. And that is this you, um, Oh wait, maybe it was page four. Yeah. I think it was page four. Anyway, you're talking about your relationship, uh, with Jenny and kind of what it was like because your mom has this new boyfriend and now he's got, you have a new family coming in. You now have a, you know, people that you would consider, you know, you have, Oh my my gosh, my mom's boyfriend has kids. So now I kind of have a, you know, siblings. And one of the things you talked about with Jenny was you guys loved playing with Barbies. And and now when I read it, I was like, I really hope because we're like literally in a Barbie world right now, since everything you see an influencer post has to do with them dressing up in pink and promoting some sort of Barbie ad or whatever. Uh Please tell me that you and Jenny are going to go see the Barbie movie together. We have to now that you've said this. I feel like I'm almost mad at myself for not coming up with this idea and I'm going to have to call her and I'm going to be like, Jenny, Reality Steve made the best idea that you and I, we both have to go to see this Barbie movie together and we both need to bring a chocolate milk. <laughs> yeah, it's in the book. There's a chocolate milk story regarding Barbie in the book that... Um... Oh my God, it's <laughs> iconic. It's one, of, it's one of our best memories now that we can laugh about it. <laughs> so so it must be, you know, you, you're, you're just with your mom for a few years and all of a sudden yeah. she, meets, she meets Jed. He's got two kids. One's older, one's younger. And if I'm not mistaken, they end up getting married fairly quickly or moving in together fairly quickly right it wasn't this yes. wasn't like some long courtship here right yeah it, it was very quick it, I mean to be honest I hardly remember my mom dating Jed for long before it was all of a sudden like we were living there and mind you this means we we moved it was three hours away like this wasn't a close distance you know as it was all of a sudden packed our bags and, and we drove three hours and all of a sudden I'm residing in this 
big house. Like it was just like so surreal. And then all of a sudden I'm meeting these two other kids that are now we're all sitting at the dinner table together. There really wasn't a transition. There weren't like these play dates really of like, Oh, let's meet and like kind of get to know each other and get the kids used to each other. It wasn't like, it was just all of a sudden pretty much my suitcase goes over here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was pretty rapid. So I went from, you know, only child, just only knowing playing cards with, you know, the wicked witch of the East upstairs. <laughs> and then, uh, to all of a sudden I am living in this big, middle-class home with these this strange man and his two children who are just kind of staring at me with blinking eyes it was it was very surreal there really wasn't I, I was pretty uncomfortable early on to be honest because it was I I was just confused and I think at such an early age I I never really had a chance to even understand or process what was even going on with my mom and dad splitting just because everything was just so rapid it went from like my mom crying in the kitchen to all of a sudden me waking up in my bunk bed in our hobbit apartment and i would almost hit my head on the pillar as soon as if i sat up in my bunk bed because our ceilings were so low to all of a sudden boom new household very far away from where i have ever grown up so it was just i my life was just constantly just rapid fire of a new location, a new home all the time. Yeah. And the first conflict that really comes up in this book is pretty much centering around that is the fact that your mom's got a new boyfriend slash husband who comes mm -hmm. to the table with two kids. Your mom, I'm assuming, takes Jed's last name. Those mm -hmm. kids have his last name. You don't have his last name, and you feel like Jed immediately, for better or worse, wanted no part of you. He yeah. You weren't his, so he didn't really care to look out for you. Correct. It was, I, and I think that's what killed me at such an early age. At that point, I almost, you know, Jed always made sure I knew I was not his kid. And I felt extremely left out and it was almost like a part of me, I, I wanted, I wanted to change my last name. I wanted it to be his last name in hopes for also acceptance, not only just by, you know, not looking like the outcast of the family, but I really, I felt like he would love me if I had his last name too. You know what I mean? But he, he didn't want that. Anyways, but at the time, my young mind, I was like, okay, well, maybe if I change my last name, like maybe he'll see me as his daughter. Um, so I so badly wanted to change my last name. And I, I have to say, I'm so glad I never did. I'm so glad I just didn't go forward with asking that, you know, and, and pursuing that, ask my mom to do it, the paperwork, all that. I, I'm really glad because it's, I'm so proud to be Casey Costa, you know? Yeah, I mean especially when we get to start talking about the things that happened uh, within yeah. that family, you're just like, yeah, thank God uh, I did. Yeah, so, right. so you start feeling basically not wanted and yet you're somebody who in that early impressionable age just wants to feel wanted, wants to feel part of a family. Like your, your mom right. married this guy and he's got a family and two kids and, and you're part of hers. But one thing that didn't help matters was your mom never really st stuck up for you and never really was on your side in anything. And it was almost like 
not that she ignored Jed's um, insistence on really not including you in anything, but she certainly didn't help matters. No, and I think that's um, that's my biggest issue, or that was the start of my biggest issue, was I didn't expect much from him. He, he was not my dad. Um, but I expected more out of my mom um, because she was my only parent, really. And so to see that I was now living in a home where I had a different last name, it was known that I was the only one who didn't have the same dad as everyone else. And then on top of that, my mom doing absolutely nothing to make sure I felt or was included as an equal, you know, she would, she would abide by him and his doing. And that's where, that's where things just started to unravel in our relationship because it was like the one person that I, that I turned to for, you know, protection and love and trust. I had, I didn't have that. So it was truly only me, myself and I, by just the age of five, six years old to depend on and rely on. One of the things you talked about early in the book And I think the people that watch the Big D see you as this giant personality. You're very bubbly. You're Mm -hmm. very jokey. One of the things you said in the book that I thought was interesting was when you were a kid and you were in school, this was like pre-high school stuff, you Mm -hmm. had mentioned that the fact that um, in school, you were the class clown. You loved making people laugh. You loved being the entertainer. Whereas you said most kids are shy in school and more outgoing at home. You were the Mm -hmm. complete opposite because your home life wasn't really great. And so when you got to school, you felt like you could be a different person. And your home life wasn't great because of Jed. And Jed did a lot of things. I mean, within the first 10 pages of the book, you start diving into some deep shit uh, Mm -hmm. in regards to Jed. So why don't, I mean, there's so many things here, but why don't you just say what you want to say about Jed and what happened with that dynamic. I don't know what age it started, but your mom, as much as your mom was siding with Jed on things and, and kind of neglecting you, you also talk about the fact your mom had a very bad temper and then apparently Jed did too. So just kind of explain at what age it started where the relationship with Jed took a turn. So yeah, to touch on, you know, personality like at home versus at school, it was, it was, it was like the opposite where some kids, they're more shy and quiet at home or at school. Sorry, they're more shy and quiet at school, but when they get home, they're definitely more comfortable and open and talkative. It was very much the opposite for me where I was actually my genuine, authentic self at school. And at home, I had to tone it down and dial it down because I was constantly I was constantly just, I was a known inconvenience to everybody. And so I was just dimmed a lot. And so early on in my childhood, you know, as my, my stepdad, Jed, you know, made sure that I, I, again, was just, I knew that I was basically the redheaded stepchild. That's when, um, the abuse started, you know, it was, it was pretty early on. I mean, it was elementary school and, you know, Jed, Jed started to, he would get more comfortable. It started off with him being comfortable. We would all be at the dinner table, you know, and 
Jed would often tell, you know, just me to clear the table or just me to do the dishes. And then he started, he was, he was very smart. I will say like, he would kind of do the thing where he would say, well, you're the best at it. You know, and, and it was like, it was almost like a narcissist. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, he was very good at just kind of manipulating, like, but you're so good at it. That's why I only ask you. So in a way it was like, I was, I really was, that's where I came up with the book Cinderella girl, because I, I was a Cinderella and, and, you know, and it was like, I would, I would seek a compliment or some sort of acceptance from my family. And so if I was told that I'm so good at cleaning, I would just, I would do just that every time I was asked of it because I was quote, so good at it. And, and so then I would, I would excel at it. I really was fucking good at cleaning, but because I was hoping for like, and you know, another, another time to be told I was so good at it. So that's, you know, that's kind of how things started, but my mom has always had a temper and then Jed has a temper. And so the thing is, is my stepdad, when he started to become physically abusive towards me my issue my issue it's not from him like when I talk about it and I I write about it just so that you know I I write about it but I also I also am not I'm just not fucked up from that in a weird way it sounds crazy but it's like I am not fucked up and I don't have any PTSD from my stepdad hitting me whatsoever I don't I don't I'm not in fear of men I don't feel that all men hit women I don't I don't feel that way you know what I mean my issue what pisses me off what I hated the most was the fact that my mom fucking knew what was going on and my mom fucking witnessed it and did nothing and that's my issue that was my issue my whole life was like you you've seen it you you know what I mean you didn't you didn't stop to protect me this little girl and this big six foot man who's not her dad putting his hands on her and hurting her and you do nothing because you, you love him and you don't want to break up your white picket fence. And, you know, and so that's where my issue was again, because it was just like, you were my, you're my parent. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're, I expect more out of you as, as, as your family member, this guy doesn't owe me shit and I don't owe him shit. You know, and it's kind of, it's kind of sad to have to say that, right? Like where I would have to even say that about somebody where it's like, Oh, he doesn't owe me that he doesn't owe me protection or he doesn't owe me to not put his hands on me. I mean, it's pretty sad to even have to verbalize that, but that's, that's my, that was my norm, you know? And so, but for the longest time for years with, with Jed being physically abusive and my mom basically telling me, I better not fucking tell anybody, you know, because she didn't want to break up her family. You know, again, my mom and Jed had two kids together. So now she has two babies with them. And, and so it was like, you know, I just, I was the only one who had to continuously go home to this mistreatment for the longest time because I had no alternative. Okay. So we need to back up really quick here because mm-hmm. you said it right there and we, had, and we hadn't even brought this up yet. So you, uh, your mom, uh, marries Jed. He comes into the relationship with two kids. What we, mm-hmm. what you just mentioned that we hadn't brought up yet was your mom then had two children with Jed, uh, Kaylee mm-hmm. and Tyler, who are your yeah now siblings as well but they're came from your mother um mm-hmm. so they are your brother and sister and so they're they're now in the picture and they're within a almost a year of each other they had uh kaylee and then tyler came what within a year year and a half of kaylee being born if i'm not mistaken right mm-hmm. yes yes okay, okay. so 
there was a story that you told in there as well uh, in the book um, that and that you met, just mentioned in your last answer in regards to you had to you had to basically protect Jed, even though he was abusing you. And that was Jed had gone off on his son, Jax, one time mm -hmm. and, C yeah. and CPS was called. And when CPS yeah. came to the house, you had a chance to possibly out Jed for what he did to you. And you yep. did, and you couldn't say a word, or you didn't say a word. Correct. Yep. So you I lied. You lied that, for your mom, basically. I did. Yeah, I I lied for my mom, and and I also felt too. This is kind of sick, you know. Um, I also felt too that maybe if I didn't throw Jed under the bus for all the abuse, I also felt like maybe he would stop hurting me. Um, you know, I I kind of felt like God, maybe he would. He would not see me as such a threat or whatever it is that he sees me as to make him want to be so cruel to me. So in a weird way, it was, it was a fucked up mentality, but I was so young. I, it was like, I was hoping, I was honestly hoping for some form of acceptance. Like, okay, like I'm loyal to you guys, you know? And I, so the fact that I lied to CPS, I, I mean, I'll never forget it. I looked her straight in the eye and I, I completely lied, completely lied. Yeah. And, um, I hate that about myself. And I, I also hate the system too, because it's like they, they sit you down as a child in front of your parents, you know, like, and you, so it's like, I was sitting there, like he didn't question me alone by any means. And the, you know, my, my, my mom and my stepdad were sitting right next to me when I was asked this. So, but again, you know, it didn't, it, that didn't serve me well anyways. So but, this this abuse from Jed is talked about in the book literally within the first 10 pages. And then yeah. we kind of skip at you. You kind of skipped ahead. And within the first 15 pages, we get to what I think was. When I read it. My stomach dropped and I couldn't yeah. believe I read this, mm -hmm. but um, you kind of skip ahead and you said, hey, my freshman year uh, of high school happens. I'm now a I'm a, a great soccer player. You're the homecoming princess. Mm -hmm. And you had a new boyfriend and his name was Jose. And mm -hmm. you and your friend Brittany and Jose had a friend named Hector. So you and Brittany would hang out with Jose and Hector and they were both seniors, right? Yeah, they were, mm -hmm. they yeah. were seniors. You were freshmen. Yep. And you guys would just all hang out and, you know, hook up and make out and all this stuff. Well, mm -hmm. you end up losing your virginity mm -hmm. to Jose your freshman year of high school. And mm -hmm. in literally page 15, and I'm looking at it right now so I because I, I wanted to get the quote right. Yes. Um, I think Jenny, I think your sister ended up ratting you out because I was like, wait, how did they know that she did? But you basically yeah, Jenny ratted me out. <laughs> Jenny, Jenny ratted you out, found out. You, oh, that's right. Because you had asked her um, because um, you thought you were pregnant. You thought you because yeah. you skipped a period or, or you hadn't had yep. your period yet or something. Or I was. Yeah, I, I was so young. I, I mean, I had barely gotten my period. And so it wasn't even regular anyways. Yeah. And then. Yeah, I didn't get my period. I was I was like, oh God. I mean, I hardly even had any sex education in school. It was like all they ever told us was like, oh, you know, be careful. You could get herpes. You know, it's yeah. like we, they didn't really teach us so much about what really fucking happens if you don't use a condom. And so all I knew, the lack of, you know, the lack of education that I had, I was like, well, I heard you don't get a period when you're pregnant. So 
I didn't get my period and I was, I was so scared. So I called Jenny cause Jenny had her driver's license Yeah. and I had asked her, you know, next time she comes, comes home from her mom's house. Cause you know, she's back and forth between her mom, her biological mother and you know, Jed, her dad, you know, basically our household. I had asked her, I was like, can you take me to Planned Parenthood? Cause I don't know, like, I don't know what to do. Um, cause I was scared I was pregnant and then the next day. Yeah. So the next day happens. Dad. Yeah. So the next mm-hmm. day happens and, um, it was just a normal day where you were going to get ready to go to school. But, um, uh, your parents told you to come upstairs cause they wanted to ask you something and they asked you, did you have sex with Jose? You initially, mm-hmm. you initially said no. And then right. you realized I'm not, I can't lie about this. And you said yes. And the very next thing that Jed said to you was, you have two choices. You can either go to a girl's home in Utah or you can go live with your mom's friend, Sandy, in Napa. And mm-hmm. this was not like we need to discuss this or whatever. It was that was your two choices and that was your two choices to make in the next, I don't know, 10 minutes. There yeah. was there was nothing. Take it from there because there's there's details to this that I don't that I'd rather you tell than than me. So. Take everyone there from basically what happened when they found out that you had sex with Jose and they said, these are your options. Go. It was just like that. It was as soon as I said, yes, I, I had sex. He said, you have two options. You either go to a girl's home in Utah or you can go live with your aunt Sandy in Napa, but you're leaving today. And I mean, I remember like it was yesterday. It was like my whole body went just completely numb. I couldn't feel my fingers. And it was I, it was just unreal to know that my life had changed within a matter of seconds. And not to mention, I, I wasn't allowed to use the phone. I wasn't allowed to call even my best friend to let her know I, I have to move today. And... It was so fucked up because I was so, I was so punished and I was so rejected from my home that I, I literally just felt so disposable in that moment. And I, of course, chose to move to Sandy's house and go to public school instead of a girl's home. But I just everything within that, you know, it was it was awful because I had to pack my bags then and there. I mean, I'm looking at my room. I'm looking at my bed sheets. I'm looking at my dog. You know, like I think that's like the hardest thing was like my dog was she was my everything. You know, she was the only thing that was like true love to me. And so to have to say goodbye to her and not knowing when I could never come back. Um, it was just really it was really hard, you know, especially because I look back on it as as a parent right now and it's like this girl, this little girl who has just been kind of fucking bounced around and you know, is clearly having an issue, you know, it, she loses her virginity and it's like I just wish that they would have certainly yes, not condoned it, not allowed it, but gone about it differently. Well, of course. Um I mean, yeah, that's because not I a, really was FedExed. I was FedExed away yeah. is what I, you know. Like, not even a chance to, like you said, say goodbye to your friends, uh, yeah. do anything, call anybody. It was that morning all of a sudden, and then literally you're taken out of school. Nobody knows where you are. And then yep. rumors start floating around of what happened to Casey around your high school mm-hmm. when you finally mm-hmm. got around to speaking with people. Like, look, I'm sure they were upset. 
and they didn't want, you know, I, parents obviously are protective. And right. certainly hearing that their 14 year old was dating a senior and now having sex, that one, that statutory rape, even if, mm-hmm. if, even if it's consensual, but you know, it happened behind their back. They weren't happy. I get that. I, right, I I'm right. not even a parent and I understand that, but, totally. but the reaction I, that's just, that makes no sense to, I think anybody that's going to read this and anybody that just heard you talk about it, why would two parents, as opposed to saying, Hey, Casey, you're grounded or right. Casey, we need to talk to you about this. It's like, pack your bags. You're sending your fucking daughter away for having right. sex. Like, I couldn't well, believe like, that. With, with, I look at it too, and it's like if this had happened to any of my other siblings, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have given them the same decision to make. It, they would have handled it just like you explained. Yeah. One, this is not okay. Two, you're so very grounded. You know what I mean? And, and go on from there. I and that's the thing is, you know, I love my siblings so very much, but. A lot of them don't realize it's hard for them to even not that I want their sympathy, but it's hard for them to even understand what it really was like for me growing up because again, they, they were not in the position that I was in and they, they truly wouldn't have been faced with that decision. And, and the thing is too, is me moving to Napa to Sandy's house. I, it was the same rules applied though. It was like, I wasn't allowed to, it's not like I could go down to Napa and then use their house phone to call my friend and be like, by the way, like if you could tell our friends goodbye, like I have, I'm living in Napa now. I, I wasn't even allowed to use the phone there. It was like this, it was like this drill sergeant came down and then relayed orders to another drill sergeant. And even if that was Jed's idea, let's just say that this Jed, it's almost like Jed had an agenda of, Hey, I can now use this as my reason to get rid of her because, like you said, oh yeah, he, he didn't loved it. He, he didn't want you to be he, he didn't want you as part of that family because you were not right. you were not his. But even if right. even if this is all Jed's idea, and he's like, I want to send you know you away right now because I just found out you had sex. Right. Again, this goes back to the fact that how your mother doesn't step in and say, Jesus Christ, Jed, you're overreacting. No, right. we're not sending. Your mom just went along with it, clearly. And again, yeah, that's that's why, you know, I mean, Jed loved it. But again, Jed, Jed wasn't my issue in making, you know, because of course that he, I mean, he definitely came up with that decision and, and loved the fact that it went that way. And, but even still, I'm not like, fuck Jed, fuck you. I'm like, fuck you, mom. Fuck you, mom. You yeah. know, you're, she's, she okayed it. And and again, it was just it. And this is just where I, again, just throughout life, just felt so disposable, just so disposable at such, you know, I was young and I was confused. And I mean, I mean, the only thing I could think in that whole entire time was the fact that I wasn't fucking pregnant because that would have been awful. But I mean, I, it was just, I, you know, my whole life had just gone up in flames. Yeah. And Jed and Jed drives. Well, Jed drives you to Sandy's house. And even then you guys get you stop at a doctor's office on your way out of town in that car ride of him driving you. You stopped at a doctor's office to get a checkup because he wanted to make sure you weren't pregnant. And then once you got to Mm -hmm. Sandy's house, you even write about the fact that you were looking to find a way to kill yourself because you were just like, Jesus Christ, what? Look at my life. I'm 14. I just got taken out of school at the drop of a hat. Uh, and I'm being sent away. And my mom isn't even sticking up for me. Yep. I, I wanted to die. I, um, and I was, I mean, being in that, being in that truck driving there and 
sitting next to Jed, mind you, when we stopped at the doctor's office for me to like get a pelvic exam and labs drawn and all of this and just poked and prodded. And then we stopped by my mom's office on the way out of town. Yeah. And I walked into her office where I had always been, where I'd practically grown up. I would help her un- like open envelopes and stuff. And, and I looked at her and I was like, mom, why are you doing this? Like, I'll, I'll never, forget. I was just like, why are you doing Like, I, I couldn't believe that this is my last stop out of town, you know? And I just looked at her and in, and it was the next thing I know I had to get in the truck. And then, so to drive down and then just to see Jed just, so composed and it was like this look of satisfaction on his face and I am sitting in the passenger seat and I just like I was looking out the window and we were on the freeway and I was like I could just jump out right now and hopefully hit my head and die like I just like I just wanted to fucking die like I just I was like we were you know driving like again on the freeway and I was like hopefully if I jump out like a car will run me over like I was thinking of the darkest way to die because it was my only option before I got to our next destination you know and it was like I just wanted to die I just wanted to die everything that we just talked about in the first 30 almost 40 minutes of this podcast is literally in the first 17 pages of your 150 page book so (laughs) to to show everybody (laughs) so which which means to what I'm trying to say is we could literally do three or four hours on this book because there are so mm-hmm. many stories that are very detailed, very vivid memories you have of things that happened. But mm-hmm. those were the ones that kind of shaped everything that happened after that. So we're going to have mm-hmm. to kind of certainly not going to gloss over, but I, I mean, there's so many stories. So what I want to kind of get at next is this. So this happens with Jose and this is around, like you said, you're 14, uh, you know, 16 years old and stuff like that. And then and then when you're 16 years old, um, you meet a guy, Matt, who is 10 years older than you. And he becomes yep. your new boyfriend. And this is a guy that um, Matt was a, you know, Matt was, you find out, was a drug user. Um, mm-hmm. You move to L.A. with him. Um, mm-hmm. You move back uh, to Napa and he's a guy that came into your life where he wasn't very, I mean, he wasn't the greatest boyfriend for sure, but he mm-hmm. wasn't, and he wasn't any sort of abuser, but this is another two years right. of your life where you're with a guy that wasn't the greatest to you. And mm-hmm. yet you moved to LA with him and kind of explain your relationship with Matt and how that all came about and where you saw yourself going with him. So, you know, being, being young, only 16, um, it was like, I, I think that was my issue, you know, is, is almost being so punished and penalized for losing my virginity. I, and just kind of being so rejected from my, my family and my home life that I, I found myself diving into relationships for acceptance and a sense of, you know, a sense of family in a way. And so when I met Matt, um, you know, he was 10 years older than me and he was, you know, all the girls loved him and he was so interested in me and, and looking, me looking at it now as an adult, I'm like, ew, like the, I was 16 and he was 26. And, you know, we, like, I, we, we would have like this wild, crazy sex and, and he liked to videotape it and it was, it was fucking weird. And I like, for some reason, I thought it was so cool, but looking back on it, I, I'm just disgusted, obviously. But 
and he, he just, he didn't have his shit together. It was like, he, he couldn't rent from any, any place. Cause he was, had a bad, he was a bad tenant in so many places. He was, you know, had a terrible rental history. He's been evicted. He had terrible credit. He's had a DUI. So I went from like having this really hot, like this really hot guy that was into me to then being only like 18 years old living in LA to me having to be the co-signer on all this shit. And, and then us only using my car cause he's had a DUI before. And it was like, I immediately went from like this little hostess in a sushi bar, you know, to all of a sudden me having to be the adult in this relationship of someone who's 10 years older because he was a complete fuck up. And then, then I was finding these glass pipes and shit and I was so young and naive. The only terrible thing I've ever done was freaking lose my virginity. So here I am finding these glass pipes and I was like too young to even know what that really meant. And I was like, this is weird. This doesn't, this doesn't smell like weed. This doesn't look like a weed pipe, but like, eh, what else could it be? You know? And so, you know, like my relationship with him, it's like, he wasn't abusive, but he was just, he was just a, he was just a fucked up person. He had a lot of demons, you know, like with addiction that, so it was like, I just, I went along with it, but I was so young that I, I ended up falling completely out of love. I just kind of, I kind of got sick of it after a while. I was starting to finally grow up and be like, what the fuck? Like, what is my life? You know, I'm only going to live in a shitty studio apartment with cockroaches with this guy forever. Cause he can't get a real job. And, I'm always going to be hustling two jobs too. Like I just, I, I couldn't stand it. And I started to just like, I want it out. And then the next guy that came into your life is a guy named Gio who <laughs> was. The worst. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it was the amount of stories you have in here with Gio. I mm -hmm. found myself reading these stories and I'm like, and they, and they were all, you know, once, once, I guess, the honeymoon phase of that relationship wore off, um, this is a guy that all the girls liked in, in your town. Every You knew mm -hmm. every all the women were after him. He enjoyed yes. all the attention. He cheated mm -hmm. on you nonstop. He mm -hmm. was physically abusive to you. Um, mm -hmm. Even had to go to jail one time. And the amount of times in the book where you tell these stories of how he treated you and then the amount of times you went back to him, I was almost like getting mad at you while I was reading mm -hmm. the book, being like, yep. what the fuck are you doing? Like, I can't believe, like, how do you, why would you stay with somebody like this? So, you know, looking back on it now and then reading all the stuff that was going on with, you know, having lived under Jed's roof and not having a supportive mother, um, I, I, I kind of felt like I... There, there was a part of me that was like, I, I, I maybe understand why she kept going back to this man. Like it was just getting some sort of acceptance and just wanting to have somebody because you certainly didn't have a loving stepdad or a loving mother to go back to. And maybe mm -hmm. you just felt like I have nowhere else to go. And at least I know this guy cares about me, even though he's beating in me and cheating on me. As fucked up as that sounds, it's still somebody that you have some sort of a a connection with. I mean, what do you, when you look at the geo stories and you're writing this book and you're thinking back to everything that happened, what do you think is the reason you kept staying with a guy like him who was an absolute piece of trash? 
No, that's a really good question, Steve. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm really glad that you asked this one because it wasn't until writing the book that I actually took to the, took the time to revisit the absolute details of the abusive incidents that had occurred. And that's, and it, it made me break down and actually cry. I haven't cried about it. I don't think about it. You know, again, I don't have any trauma PTSD from it, but it wasn't until I had to really re relive it that it killed me to rewrite it in such grave detail. And the reason is, yes, it was because it was like, I kept going back to him because although Gio was so horrible to me and so abusive and he would cheat on me all the time, he was always so sorry. And I have never had anyone ever be sorry for hurting me in my life. You know, like with my, with my mom, especially everything that she's ever done that was abusive towards me with her temper it she would always she would always make sure it was my fault that I, she would always express that well this is you're the reason why i did this you're the reason why i did that and i and i so with geo it was like i got this i'm sorry all the time i felt loved and it was sick as it was so sick and unhealthy but he you know it was the one thing with geo and I will say, and I, I mean, it sounds crazy because I'm almost defending him here. The one thing with Gio, he was very fucked up, but that guy never wanted to lose me. And, st <laughs> and even still, after all these years, you know, I mean, he never wanted to lose me. And, you know, he, he, he was terrible, but I've never had anyone who, who ever really wanted to fight for me to stay, you know, and, and I wasn't used to that. And so my... You know, and, and being in an abusive relationship, you're just, it's so unhealthy and you're so lost. And especially when you don't have a good family to have your back on things, you feel like you have nothing and no one. So you just tolerate. Well, he's, I mean, you read the book and you read the stories. He's the textbook uh, definition of an abuser. He abuses you yeah. and then cheats mm -hmm. on you and then says he's mm -hmm. sorry and he'll never do it again. And you believe him and you go back to him and it's just a, it's a repetitive story it just ha keeps happening yeah but yeah. because he's sorry yeah. and in those moments you feel vulnerable hell there's this there's a there's a uh an excerpt in the book where it got so bad one night that he was thrown in jail and then mm -hmm. he was thrown in jail and you were still talking to him while he was in jail and the second he got to jail he used a phone call to you to tell you that he loves you and you said i love you mm -hmm. back and i'm like yeah good god <laughs> Right. This, you literally just threw him in jail and hours later he's telling you he loves you and you're telling him I love you too. And, you, and you're just feeling bad for him. Yeah. You know? And the cops were sick of me at that point yeah. too. You know what I mean? I just like, they, they would come. I mean, he had, he had, he'd been arrested actually. I think he's been thrown in jail twice for during the, during the duration, but cops have come to our house multiple times because neighbors would call, they would hear me screaming. And, and I mean, the, it was like the cops were even like, what the fuck is wrong with you little girl? You know? And I mean, looking back on it, I'm like, what an idiot. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, he would say, I love you. And it was like, I would sleep so good at night knowing that he loves me too. And it was just so, and it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing to be that girl around town who was known as, as the girl who like, you know, I always had bruises. I always, you know what I mean? And, and it was just, it was just awful to know that I was the girl that people were like, that's the girl who's still with Gio, you know? Yeah. And it's just, 
like I said, there's so many pages of this that just the stories and the constant back and forth and you finding photos on his phone of naked women or you finding a text mm-hmm. on his phone of uh, a girl texting him that you know he had just hooked up with and you saying, mm-hmm. I'm done with you or whatever. And then it turned into a fight. It turned into something abusive. And it was just this over and over and over again. And, you know, when you're in it, mate, like you said, you just it wasn't until you probably were writing it that you were like, man. Who is this girl that keeps staying with this guy? And why right? and why did I? And it was it was so messed up too because Gio Gio didn't even hide his abuse. You know, a lot of people will be in abusive relationships where they'll seem like a very charming guy to everyone else and then behind closed doors they're very abusive. Gio had no problem being a he I mean, he would hit me in front of his friends. But Gio was he was it was, it's sick to say this, but he was like the king. He was the king of, of the whole town of every, he was just this master. He was so big and so strong and so masculine and confrontational that, that no one would dare go against him. People feared him all the time and they'd rather be on his good side than his bad side. Because if you were on his bad side, you, you weren't safe. So Gio didn't give a shit if people even witnessed it. Gio would hit me in front of his friends. You know, it, it was just, and it was, so it, for him to even hit me in front of his friends, it was 10 times worse behind closed doors. So, yeah, and it, you know, it wasn't, an, I mean, it wasn't, I think the hardest part for me to relive was um, when I was writing about, you know, one of the incidents and when I, Finally, when he when he licked the blood off of my face, that one part yeah. where I just it was it was almost like I mean, I'll never forget it. It was the look in his eye. Demonic, you know, and and that scared me, that terrified me because it was like he was he was gone. Geo, there was no one there inside him at that time. And that part to relive that, I guess I've never I don't know if I'm blocking it or whatever, but I mean, to relive that specific moment was just it's just sickening it's kind of gut-wrenching you hear about people in abuse but like to to lick the blood off of someone's face I mean it was just so it was just gut-wrenching to relive again while he's while he's pinned you down and is on top of you don't forget that part you know that is you know it just and that's the night of him going to jail right that was the night of yeah yeah he went to jail that night and then that's when he used his call on you and said, I love you. And you're just like, that's just find it funny. You were just licking blood off me a few hours ago. And mm-hmm. you know, um, like I said, there's so many stories in, in, in the book in regards to that relationship. And then, you know, during all this time, during these relationships that you're having and this just abusive relationship with this, this wild ass relationship with Matt an abusive relationship with Gio, you still have this just messed up relationship with your mother who's in an mm-hmm. on-again, off-again relationship with Jed because Jed cheats on her all the time, but she's absolutely head over heels for Jed. And then then a guy comes along, and then you know once Jed is, I guess, she's moved on from Jed, I don't know where the overlap was in terms of where you were in your life, but then a man comes into your mom's life by the name of Jake. And yeah. he's another piece of shit. I don't, know, I don't know who's worse, Jed or Jake. I'm trying to determine Jake. as I'm reading the book. Who's worse? Jake is worse. Jake was worse? Okay. Jake is the worst person in this entire world. Okay. So Jake is, and now your mom, just like your mom sided with Jed on everything and never stuck up for you, it was like 
that times a hundred mm-hmm. with Jake and yep. Jake. So, I mean, again, a, a shit ton of stories with Jake in this, in this book. And I, the one thing I don't remember is where did Jake come from? How did your mom meet him again? So Jake and his two other buddies moved into the house across the street from her house. Gotcha. Okay. So it was these three younger guys that moved in across the street. And my mom had, you know, she got her heart broken by Jed. I was living in L.A. at the time yeah. um, with my ex-boyfriend. So, you know, she she was spiraling, heartbroken. Um, and then she started just partying and started partying with these boys across the street. But Jake wasn't like your age, was he? Or was he? he he was closer to my age. Yeah, closer to your age. So, yeah. this, so yeah. when you were 18, so I'm guessing Jake was in his early 20s when your mom started getting with him. Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, again, <laughs> the amount of stories in there about Jake, just not a good guy at all. Like you said, just He's a, a terrible a, a, person. Terrible person. Um, mm-hmm. But there was, there was again, uh, you know, you try, when you write this book, you're pretty much writing it chronologically, and you're giving us, yep. like, as you move on in your life. And the, I think another, you know, the biggest story in the beginning was the losing your virginity and then getting sent away literally the next day. And then there's an incident that happens when you're about 19 or 20, when you go camping um, involving your mother. And I want you to share mm-hmm. that story as well. Yeah. So when my mom started dating Jake, she was a completely different person. Um, to to her credit, at least when she was married to Jed, she tried to at least make it seem like she was this super mom and had her shit together. She had a good job. She was making six figures. Um, and then when she started dating Jake, she turned into this... She turned into him. It was this white trash bar hopping bar fights um you know just like selling she was helping him sell weed um and it was she was just a a entirely different person and it was almost like I, i had almost missed life with her and jed at that point like the mom that she was because it was like she at least was a little bit wannabe polished whereas now she was just trying so hard to be be young with Jake and so within that this was compromising her custody with my little brother and sister Kaylee and Tyler because Jed you know even they, they he had found out that you know Jake was around and Jake had a, a criminal record and as Jed should he did not feel comfortable with his kids being around that 50% of the time you know because they were sharing custody so my mom, we were camping and, you know, she was just, this, she was just a drinker. And so I was with, I was dating Gio at the time I was 19 and we all went on this family camping trip and I decided to meet my mom and my family at this camping spot that we would go to every year at Spicer's Lake. And, um, so I drove up there, met them there and me being 19, my mom and, you know, my aunts and uncles, they were letting us drink. And so my cousin CJ and I, 
and he had a friend too. So I was 19, CJ and his buddy were like 16, 17, and we're, they're just letting us drink. So we thought it was like the cool thing because we're like just drinking beer. And so everyone's drunk. My mom and everyone goes to bed, but my, myself and my cousin and his friend and I wanted to stay and drink. And so we decided to sit in my cousin's tent and we were just, we brought a bunch of beers in there. We just kept drinking. My mom opens the tent and is she's hammer drunk just like stumbling and she goes what the fuck do you think you're doing and I looked up at her and I was like what and she was like you're in a tent with two boys and I was like my cousin and she was like yeah you think you're gonna be in a tent with two little boys and mind you and my cousin was like he was like you know auntie you know auntie like what are you what are you talking about like we're just we're just chilling and because we just wanted to drink, like we're allowed to at that point, you know, by them. So she basically made it seem like I was, I was like a pedophile. And she goes, you're not going to count two, two little boys. I'm like, what the fuck? And mind you, Steve, I, I was so in love and infatuated with Gio. You couldn't even pay me. You couldn't even pay me to cheat on that abusive piece of shit although I should have but like granted it wouldn't have been with anybody in that tent my my cousin and his little friend like you know and so we were all teenagers and so she ripped me out of the tent and she's like you're not gonna be in here and I was like what the fuck are you talking about my cousin I mean she just made all of us feel really uncomfortable like she painted me to be some kind of pedophile and so so I'm in her tent with my siblings. I have Kaylee and Tyler. We're all laying in there. And my mom is just drunk, drunk as shit. And she was like going on and on. She's like, you guys don't want me to be happy, blah, blah. You guys don't want me to be with Jake because, you know, Jed was fighting in court to basically win custody over Kaylee and Tyler um, because of the guy that she was bringing around them. And so my mom was mad at Kaylee and Tyler because she knew that Kaylee and Tyler were running to their dad and telling them what the fuck they were witnessing at home. Like these house parties, guys puking on our couches and shit. Like it was a really bad household all of a sudden for my little brother and sister. And so she's just sitting there saying, she's like, you guys don't want me to be fucking happy. And I was used to my mom abusing me, being verbally abusive, physically abusive to me my whole life. But when she was saying this to my brother and sister, I was laying next to Kaylee and I heard her start to start to cry. She started sniffling and I saw her wipe her tears and it, it was hurting her. Everything my mom was saying was hurting my little sister. And that moment I sat up and I said, shut the fuck up. And my mom sat up and she punched me straight in the head. And I literally, it was like a cartoon. I literally saw stars, completely saw stars. And I don't know what came over me, but I, I hit her back. And we were just swinging on each other. My brother and sister are screaming. And then my mom, my mom was pulling my hair and I was trying to push her off of me. And she bit my fingernail off. And to me, it makes me emotional to talk about this one, especially because the thing is, is my mom, this wasn't just an exchange of blows. Like my mom, to know that this is your own daughter and you're such a sick individual that you would even go fight as dirty as biting my fingernail off. I'm never going to understand that to be that dark because my mom, it's like if there was a rock around or something, like my mom would use it in that on her own kid, you know, and, and 
I'm never, I'm never going to understand how one could be, who could get that, that evil, that dark. I'm never going to get that. And, you know, that was my first fist fight. And she, <laughs> like, I, I just remember, like, I had blood, just my head was just so cut up. Like I had blood, just warm blood, just running down my face. And I was just frozen and all, all I, re- I couldn't even focus on how bad my head was hurting, how bad my skull was hurting. It was my fingernail like that I had really, really felt and it was sick. And the next day, the next day after, you know, my, my family broke it up because um, people ran into our tent to break it up. The next day, you know, my, my older aunt, she was like, I don't ever want to see you guys do that again. And my mom my mom literally said, Steve, she was like, pretty sure she'll never hit me again. As if she was proud. It was such a victory for her to do that. And I woke up so defeated and so like disgusted that, that this had happened. It was, it was heartbreaking, you know, to know that like this had gone so far. And my mom's first reaction is to be proud. Like she's some champion that I should fear her and I'll never square up with her again type shit. It was just, it's fucking bizarre. And I, I, I have zero respect for her, Steve. And I, yeah. I just, I don't, I don't respect my mom at all. Yeah. And I was going to say, someone that goes through that, once that happens, it's almost like, why would you even, you know, still have her in your life after that? Yeah. Or how do you even, how do you even recover from something like that? How is that right. relationship ever repaired? And then one recurring theme that you talk about in this book is your, I mean, your mom was still in your life many times after that incident. And it seemed like your mom was only around and you say this in the book specifically, and I'm sure you still believe this is that your mom is around when you're at your, when you're at your darkest places, when your boyfriend's cheating on you or you're being abused or whatever the case may be, that's when your mom is there for you because she doesn't want you to be seemingly happy for anything. And that's got to also sting a bit that the fact that you say your, your mom never seems to be happy. She always makes everything about herself. And it was just, you know, it's just, it's just like you said, it was almost weird and bizarre. And, and for me to read it, it's bizarre. Cause I'm asking myself, how you even have a relationship with this woman when, after I read this book and I'm like, but towards the end of the book, you're talking about how you have no problem, you know, having your son spend time with your mother. And I'm just like, how, how do you, how do you answer that? How is that the case? Has it gotten better? You know, this book was this stuff that ins you know, this incident with the, the camping thing happened when you were 19 or 20. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously years have passed, but, I guess my question would be, what's your relationship with your mother now? Um, she clearly knows that you exposed all this stuff about her in the book because, you know, we talk about that incident. There are so many more other things in this book about your mother where it's basically bad story after bad story and how shitty of a mother she was to you mm-hmm. and just in general and just a bad person. Where are you at with your relationship with your mother right now? Yeah, well, uh, what you mentioned earlier on, it's a lot of people misconstrue when someone is there for you versus when someone pretty much enjoys you being at a low point. And so it's like a lot of people would think, oh, well, you know, if your mom ever needed you, she'd be there. And I started to notice a trend of like, yeah, she'd be there 
you know, if I, if I needed to get out of like, say my relationship with Gio or something, but if I was ever doing good in life, she hated it. She hated it. And if there's any, like, I've never, she's never said, I'm proud of you. She's never said good job. Even, even with, you know, filming the show, you know, it was just, she couldn't stand it. If someone wanted to ask me about the show, she couldn't. So anything about success that I have on my own, she fucking hated but the only time she enjoyed speaking about something pertaining to me is is when I was low and broken and and poor and you know and it was that's not a hero. I'm sorry, but it's not. And so honestly, Steve, for the longest time in in present tense, you know, me as a mom, the one the one thing I would always say is, you know, my mom, she was a shitty mom to me. She was a better mom to my siblings and I'm I'm grateful that they had a, they had a different version of my mom and I wouldn't trade that for the world. I'd rather have it be me because I survived and I'm fi- I'm fine. But she loves her grandson very much. And I never, I have never denied that. She loves my son. If she remotely treated my son anywhere similar to how she treated me, she would never fucking see him. But so for the longest time, maturely, I... I put that, those issues aside, just like my ex-husband, you know, it's like he, he, him and I, you know, we didn't work out, but he's a good dad. So I wasn't going to deprive my son of that. That's why right off the bat, I was like, I'll agree to 50, 50, you know, I, I want my son to always have the most filled life of love with anybody that gives him that. And so I've always kept, kept that my issues with anybody separate. Right. But Steve, with me writing this book, within an hour of me publishing it, she wrote a review. So no one had even ordered, no one had even received the book yet when I published it. She, with her first and last name, wrote a public review on Amazon. And she said, terrible book, bad time, but good fiction. Wait, can you you repeat that again? Your phone cut out right when you started giving her review say that again oh so my mom wrote a, a terrible review with her first and last name on it and it says it says uh, bad grammar terrible writing timeline doesn't make sense but good fiction and it's blatantly obvious that it's from her you know because no one else would know if the timeline does there doesn't make sense and to you know so she writes a terrible review without even reading the book um, i was gonna say she posted the review in an hour i was like wait a second it took me three hours to read the book how did she read yeah, it in an hour? well and i looked at the sales and no one had even received the you can't even receive the book that quickly so she wrote <laughs> so she wrote a bad review publicly so then the issue was that she a lot of people i i didn't go on amazon to check the reviews because the thing is is i'm not trying to be a i'm not trying to be an author you know, like I said earlier before to you, Steve, I'm not trying to be a New York Times best-selling author. So if someone were to say Casey Costa is the worst book writer on earth, that's not going to hurt my feelings because I'm not trying to pursue a career in writing. You know what I mean? Like, I, it would hurt my feelings more if someone was like, oh, Casey, Casey isn't good at 
impressions. I'm like, bullshit, I'm funny as shit. But like, but you know, like with this, I'm not trying. So a lot of people actually brought it to my attention. I didn't go on there to look at reviews. I could give a shit less. Honestly, it's, it's my story. So if people don't like it, that doesn't matter. It's my life. I don't like it either, you know, but so a lot of people messaged me and they're like, it looks like your mom wrote a review. And I was like, what? And so it was, you know, and her first and last name was on it. She took it. She's taken it down since, but for the longest time, I so I posted a video on TikTok and I said, you, you know, it's true. My my mom, she wrote a bad review about my book within an hour of me publishing it. She hasn't even read it yet, and that's the type of person that I'm dealing with. And so, the thing is, is my mom then text me and she was livid that it was obvious on her own doing that she wrote a bad review with her first and last name on there. And she said, if anyone, if anyone contacts her, that she will be posting my address for, for the public, which I wrote her back and I said, that's a blatant threat. Like you're the one who wrote the review with your first and last, you should have put Jane Doe and talked shit about the book, but you put your first and last name. But for her to threaten to post my address, I mean, Steve, you know, mind you, as having a platform, I have a lot of fans, yes, but I also have a lot of trolls. And so it's like, it's a safety thing. I, I don't want my address where my son resides to be public knowledge. And for her to threaten to do that, I was like, that is a blatant threat. And that directly affects my son, your grandson. And that's where I was like, that's where you lost your grandson. That's where I was like, you, you don't get to have him anymore now because that's, and you know, and so that was, that was a big issue because it was like, you can hate me all you want. I don't care. I don't care. I, you've hated me my whole life. That's no, that's no change. But to do something that could jeopardize my son's safety. Now I'm going to be a fucking lion and now it's over. And so that's where she lost her grandson. And it wasn't until for, for this, for a long time, it wasn't until just last weekend, it's, it was my son's birthday and she had actually texted me. We don't speak her and I don't speak. Um, she asked if she could see my son for a little bit and I allowed her to come pick him up and take him for just a few hours, just because it was his birthday soon. And I knew that she was going to probably get him something and do something for his birthday um, so I okayed it, but it's not something that, uh, it's, it's forever different now. And I will say, Steve, after all of this, you know, my, my mom and I, we don't have a relationship. We don't speak and I haven't cried once. I just, I don't miss my mom. And I think that's very telling. And it's, you know, it's, this has been a while. It's not like this has been a, a, a fight and we just need to cool down type thing. It's, it's been months and months and I feel very lifted and very at peace with finally coming to terms with the fact that I don't need to have someone in my life, even if they're family, who basically makes it their duty to hurt me. I don't need to do that anymore. And I'm very forgiving. I'm, I'm often overly forgiving and it's felt very good to be able to be able to show her that I don't need her because she is so used to me. I just, I don't like to go to sleep with conflict. I don't like drama. I don't, you know, I just, I don't like problems, especially with my people that I love. 
And so she's kind of, I've almost enabled her, you know, for the longest time she would do these terrible things. And then, and then I would be the one to try and be like, well, do you want to go on a walk or do you want to get dinner? I would try, even in my adult life, I would just try to make it better by trying to like, you know, do something, you know, create a distraction of some sort. And I enabled her pretty much. And now it feels very, very freeing to just not not want that person in my life anymore and just to move on and I'm okay. Well, I don't think anybody that reads 150 pages that you wrote in this book is going to sit there and be like, geez, Casey, you're a little tough on your mother. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I think people are going to side with you and be like, I'm surprised you didn't cut her out of your life earlier. Trust me. I mean, yeah. I, I, that's why I asked. I'm like, where are you? Now? I, you know, I didn't know. And to hear that, you're not, you, there's no relationship there. I, I'm glad that there isn't based on 150 pages of evidence of why she shouldn't be in your life. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I totally understand it. Maybe there's some people out there that like, yes, but she's still, you know, the one that birthed you and the one that, but it's like, that's about all she did because she wasn't yeah. the definition of a mother at all. She didn't protect you. She literally was willing to sell you down a river um, mm-hmm. when you did shit wrong, I mean, it was just, there was no motherly love anywhere. And that's, and, a, and, that's that a very good point, right? That's a very good point because the thing is, is a lot of people, and that's why, you know, that's again, another reason why I put this in a book and not on social media, because no one is going to take the time to read this book. If they, if they didn't one feel some sort of, you know, connection with me and or have a relatable situation because you can read this book and you read the back of the book it it's very obvious what the book's about and which is why again I didn't want it to be accessible to the whole entire world because so many people of course would say well that's your mother and to me just because someone is your family does not give them a hall pass to treat you like shit and that and I stand by that I don't care if you're my family. I don't care if you birthed me. You do not get a green light to hurt me. And I think, Steve, like the biggest thing is my my mom, I, you know, when, you know, there was a time in high school where I wanted her to come to some soccer event that I had. And, you know, she was like, I'm not going. And I was like, well, my, my friends, my friends' parents are going. And she goes, well, my mom didn't go for mine. And it was in, it was in that moment right there where it was like, you should not have kids to make sure they had a bad or worse childhood than you. That's not why, like for me as a mother, I purposely parent opposite of my own mother because I I'll be damned if my son ever feels like he's rejected. I'll be damned if my son ever feels like I will not be there to to constantly protect him and be proud of him and love him and that's kind of why I, I'm over I compliment people all the time and I'm very I love to make people feel good all the time I hate it when I know someone doesn't feel good because I know what that feels like and that's a shitty feeling and so it's like I'm almost like overly compensating for a lot at times but it's like my mom you know she it's like she had me to make sure I felt the same kind of pain that she felt growing up. And she, she definitely was a better mom to my younger siblings. And I'm happy for that. But for her with me, it was, I was nothing but an inconvenience. And I, she saw me as, as not her baby. It was more of like this, this equal 
as her. You know what I mean? As as an opponent, and I'm an opponent to her. And and you know, for me, it's like, yeah, just because you're my family, that I've come to a realization where I'm like, no, yeah, that does not mean you get to talk to me like this. You you do not get to call me that name anymore you do not get to hit me you do not like you just do not get to anymore you have zero you have zero power and I think that's what my mom hates is the fact that she can't you put things over my head she can't control anything and that and for her to to not be able to especially you know with me making my own money and everything it that it almost drove her nuts I it, it was like I was it was, she didn't like for me to have my own backbone and for me to be okay without her. That fucking drove her nuts. Well, you mentioned the story about the, the, the soccer banquet you wanted her to attend. I don't even think you think you told that in the book, but the one thing that it did remind me of is the fact that she never showed up to your high school graduation. You had nobody that showed up yeah. to your high school graduation. You graduated, yeah. you threw your cap in the air, and everyone's going and taking pictures with their family, and you had nobody. Yeah, I had like a lump in my throat when I, when I relived that. That was, yeah. That was, um, and there was no excuse. There was no reason for yeah. her. It's not like she was away. She was just literally sitting at home. You guys had a mini party. You had like five people over or very mm-hmm. few people at your very house few. that mm-hmm. you, you went back to that. And it was a, you know, a mini party for you celebrating your high school graduation. But literally it's like, why, well, why wouldn't she just come to it and then go back to the party? Like it made no sense. Yeah. But like you said, it just, that was par for the course. That was what you dealt with, with a mother that just wasn't a great mother uh, at all to you, unfortunately. And, you know, just just to wrap it up on your mom's side of things, do you know by by now at this point, do you know if she's read the book and when she does read it, is she just like, Casey, you're exaggerating? Casey, this never happened? Like, what is her reaction when she reads countless story after story after story after story that are very, very, very detailed about how she treated you and the things that she said to you that you remember – is she just like, why did you write this, or what? What are you doing, or why? You know, I never said that. I never did that. What is her reaction to all this? So this is this is the biggest issue um, that I have with not just her with with anybody is my biggest problem is people who lie. That's the one thing I can't I I cannot stand people who lie. People can do very shitty things to me, and if you are accountable. And if you own it and apologize, I can forgive you for pretty much fucking anything because I am always, I'm always like, you know what? I did that. I said that I'm sorry. I fucked up. You know, like I've just never, I've never acted like I was perfect in any situation, whatever it is. So my mom, the thing is, is she has lied, lied and lied and lied on me she and and that's I think that's one of probably my biggest issue with her is is the fact that she has blatantly lied about situations about me and it 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 hurts me more it's like I'd rather have you be abusive I'd rather have you hit me do this say this but to lie about the situation that's that's probably one of the sickest things in the world because she had I mean, she let, I mean, I don't know if you recall reading the book in the part where she, she lied and she had me convinced that my dad molested me. Oh yeah. No, and, that was a whole other yeah, storyline. And that, and that was, like, and yeah. that never happened. And then, and then she ended up telling our family that my stepdad molested me and that's why she's no longer with him. And, but no, the reason why she's no longer with him is because my stepdad 
cheated on her. He did, he didn't want to be with her. My mom always wanted to be with Jed. She loved him, but he cheated on her and he, he didn't want to be with her, but she, she ran with this story of, Oh no, he molested, he molested Casey. My stepdad may have been a lot of things, but he never molested me. And so to know that she would just comfortably lie about such things, such things to make herself look better is sickening. Not to mention, you know, with the book and everything, she, she had her, she contradicted herself, Steve, because she had made videos on TikTok that are now gone, but she made videos on TikTok. One video and this is, these are what fans have told me. These are what followers have told me. One video on TikTok said, I read it. Nothing, nothing about it is true. She took stuff from my childhood. And then the next, and then, then her next TikTok said, I'm on chapter six. And then the next TikTok said, I ordered the book. It should be here tomorrow. So she, she lied. I mean, she, she moved so manic that she contradicted herself. And then she's telling my family members that her friend was reading the book and her friend was telling my mom what was going on piece by piece. So it's like, did you read the book or is it coming or is your friend reading it? Like everything. So she was just lying and lying and lying and lying. And then not to mention the part where she said, I was taking stuff from her childhood. I know very little about my mom's childhood, very little, you know, and I, my, so I talk about my abuse growing up. I've never known that my mom was abused. I knew that her, I knew that her mom was abused by her stepdad and they were only with him for a little bit of time, but her real dad was a drug dealer. Like we only know a little bit about her family and her upbringing, even my cousins the same thing like we only know very little so I'm like what I don't even have any material to pretend like was mine you know and so it's just the the issue is that she nothing my mom says is truthful she will always fucking lie and and that's another thing too with with certain people when I pick up on a liar I can't run further from that person I will never ever be with someone not even a friend I, I could never associate with someone who, who comfortably lies. Be truthful and I'll always love you. I'll always back you on that. But so the thing is, is to know that your own mom, who's your flesh and blood, will go out of their way and go through such great lengths to lie on you, to make you look terrible is to me, it, you are probably one of the darkest people to ever walk on this earth. Uh, sorry, that's the situation um, that you have with your mother that frankly you feel you can't trust it all uh, obviously that can't be easy but um you know now let's let's go on to another touchy subject uh you kind of end the book on where your life well you end it with where your life is at now but before that we get to the whole thing with your ex-husband uh you call him bruce in the book we're very well aware of who that is but you know one thing the things i found interesting that you had said early on in the book or maybe it was maybe it was at at that point where you started talking about meeting Bruce and meeting your ex and and whatnot was you were never somebody that wanted to have kids and it was something that was not part of your I guess life plan but you meet your ex what changed once uh, that happened in, inside of you and about wanting to have a child and your relationship with your ex how did it start so. Basically, you're right. I mean, I, again, just growing up the way I grew up, it kind of scared me straight. I just, I, I realized like 
family life isn't for me. I don't ever want to be a mom. I don't ever, you know, just none of that. I mean, I just, I didn't picture that in my 10 year plan. I felt like there was a lack of meaning for motherhood. And like, I just didn't think it was a real thing. And then when I met my ex-husband and we, you know, pursued our relationship, I, I really started to consider it where I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe I would be open to having a baby. Although this was all very foreign to me, that feeling, I decided to get off of my birth control. And I was on birth control for 10 years because I knew I never wanted to ever get pregnant. I've never had a pregnancy scare in my life, never. So I got off birth control for 10 years and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna track my cycle. So I I even talked to my doctor about it. So I was gonna track my cycle and there was a day that it was a 10 out of 10 chance that I could get pregnant. And so we actually took our engagement photos and um, he, I don't, I mean, I think, I think my ex-husband knowing that it was like a high risk day, he wanted to like do it. And I was like, no, this is like the, the most dangerous day to do it. And in a way, Steve, to be honest, since I didn't have a pregnancy scare ever in my life, I was almost worried too. I was like, what if I can't have kids? Cause again, I've never had an accidental pregnancy. So I was like, what if I just like permanently like butchered my ovaries and I can't have children? I was like, I don't even know. So, you know, we, that, so like literally when it happened, I like felt it in my bones. I was like, uh Oh, I feel like that one really got in there. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. Like I, within 30 seconds, I was like, Oh, I'm 30 seconds pregnant right now. And so it was, it, what was funny is, you know, as time went on, I was only like, say two weeks pregnant, you know, too early to tell. Right. And I was telling my coworkers, cause I work in healthcare. I was telling my coworkers, I was like, yeah, I think I need to take a pregnancy test. And, you know, my coworkers were like, well, how late are you late? And I was like, no, I'm not late. And they're like, okay, well, you only take a test when like you don't get your period. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's on its way. <laughs> I was like, I don't feel like it's coming. I don't, I don't think it's going to come a knocking. And so sure as shit, I took a test at work because they're for free. And um, it popped up positive right away. And I just started bawling, 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 bawling. And one of my best friends at the time, she was like, she was like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm going to get fat. And she was like, she started laughing. She's like, Casey. And I was like, I'm going to get so fat. And, but it was so funny because it was like having the confirmation that I was pregnant. And again, I'm pro-choice. I'm not against making a decision if you need to like have an abortion or not, but in my situation, you know, I was engaged and I was planning on being this person the rest of my life. And knowing that I was pregnant, I was like, oh my God, like it it wasn't even, it wasn't even a thought in my mind to not pursue this pregnancy, you know? And then it was just forever. I just like, I just clicked into gear of, you know, going through the steps, like learning about pregnancy, my booking my appointments, you know, for my ex-husband and I, and and it was just, it was honestly a really exciting time. And I felt so bonded. And I, and again, I'm, I wasn't used to like a motherly love, a motherly bond. I hadn't ever witnessed that. So when I had my baby, like I could almost cry. I tell my son this all the time when I had him 
And he came right out and they put him right in my arms. I looked at him and I said, I'm your mommy. Like it was just it, it, ever since. And it was this love that I never even knew I needed. Wow. I mean, that's, I, I mean, obviously that's a great birth story and, uh, and what you said <laughs> to Brody. And I'm sure you remind him of that all the time in terms of the relationship with your ex from the time you found out you were pregnant, you're going through your pregnancy. Did the relationship change once you guys knew you were pregnant? How did it change if it did at all? Yes. Uh, good question, Steve, because during my pregnancy, we were good, you know, we, but again, we got pregnant rather quickly. You know, he proposed within, you know, less than a year of us dating. And then I got pregnant shortly after he proposed, you know? And so, um, I postponed the wedding because I didn't want to be a pregnant bride. (laughs) And so we postponed it to a year later, but so during the pregnancy, our relationship was still good. But again, mind you, this was probably like the first two years of us dating or so. And then as soon as we had our baby, everything changed. Everything changed. And it wasn't like, it's not the baby's fault, but even in our couple's counseling, um, our couple's counselor said that there was a high percent, I think it was like 77% of couples divorce after having a baby. And I think it was because you are forced with these real life stressors. You're tired, you're stressed, you're worried. It's, you know, you have this new baby and then you, you really like, you're really, it's either you are a team or you're not. And it was, I quickly was his opponent. And I think that's what killed me, you know, is that, once we had our baby, this beautiful, beautiful baby, it was like our dynamic changed and we were just roommates, you know, like there was no, we, we, again, we weren't a team. We weren't, it was just roommates. And I, I want to feel in love. Like, I think it's the cutest thing when married couples who have children and they, they go on date nights and I just think it's so healthy and beautiful and they have their alone time. And You know, it was hard when you're parenting with someone who kind of wants to do everything the opposite of you. And again, like there's compromise, but also there were certain things where it was like, this isn't just a preference thing. This is like for what's like healthier for him. And so then he would call it nagging. And I would say, I don't think it's nagging because I told you not to give our kid chips, a bag of chips before dinner as I'm cooking dinner. You know, it was like shit like that. It was everything just started to pile on top of each other. And we just, we were not in love. We had zero connection. Um, He looked at me like he hated me all the fucking time. And, you know, and I was, I was the kind of wife too, Steve. I think one of the biggest, my biggest triggers, um, in relationships right now is someone who keeps tabs. I don't like that. I don't respond well to someone who, who basically says, well, I did this for you. So you should do this. Like, I just don't like collateral. And cause I, that's not in me to ever do that to anybody else. And so, you know, I had a baby and then what I would do is I would go work out at, at five 30 in the morning, I would do an hour workout before even my household was awake, you know, and then I'd be back home and I'd proceed with, you know, just being mommy all day long, all day strong. And, but my ex-husband would be like, well, since you worked out, I want to go golf. 
And I, in my, and mind you, in my head, I'm like, well, first of all, like I would never say you can't go golf. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not a kind of wife that's like, you can't do this. I'm like, go have fun, be safe, you know, like, and, but when you put it like that, well, since you did this, I should that it was like that shit. I was just like, what the fuck? Like God, I, I had this baby. I'm the one who gained more than half my body weight. You know what I mean? Like, and, and then I, you know, I owe it to you to let you go golf for however many hours. Like I wanted to have even told him no anyways, but it was that kind of sour taste that I started to realize my relationship, everything I started to realize everything within him was very much a, a tab that he was keeping. And, and it, it killed me to the core to know that like my own husband saw me as an opponent and it wasn't, a, we just were not a unit and that it broke my heart. Yeah, that's obviously not healthy. So at what point during this did you get to, you have, you have your son, how long after you had your son had you had enough and you're just like, that's it, I'm out, uh, and you filed for divorce? So my son was one when we actually got married, and we had problems, you know, of course, ever since my son was born. So I literally walked down the aisle just not in love. I, 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 we almost canceled the wedding twice, mm-hmm. and I wasn't – excited to me like I felt and this makes me sad and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to sound heartless about my ex-husband and I'm not I'm really not trying to like bash him but me myself I I truly did not wake up being like I'm going to marry the man of my dreams it was it was just awful and so we were only married just shy of two years before I was like, this is fucking it. Like, I just can't, because I didn't want my son to see that this is what love is supposed to look like. Cause that's not, you know, it was, it, we were better off not being under the same roof, him and I together. I did not want my son to see this, this awful divide. And I felt like I couldn't be a very good mom because I might, I was just so hurt and angry and I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't sleeping well at all. I would have the worst insomnia and I literally thought something was wrong with me. But now that I'm out of the woods of all of it, I'm like, Oh my God, it's cause I was just, I had so much anxiety and pain. Like it, it kills me to almost talk about it because I, I couldn't, I couldn't even sleep. And then to watch my husband who who knew I was just kind of dying inside and sad about our dynamic and he could sleep like a baby. It almost made it worse. And I resented him even more. And I just, I could not let my son see that this is what it's like to be a husband and wife, whether I'm doing something wrong or his dad's doing something wrong. This isn't how either party should ever fucking respond or cohabitate. So now that you've been, you know, divorced for a few years, you obviously have to share a child with this man and you have to any relationship you enter into your ex is going to be a part of it because you are now, you know, that's he's you're attached because you have a, a child together. How has navigating that been? Has it gotten any better? It certainly doesn't seem like it has. Negative. It, it has not gotten better. Um, if anything, it's gotten worse. You know, I, There was a while after we had filmed our TV show that 
he got this girlfriend who was amazing. She was the cutest, cutest girl. She was beautiful. She was a boy mom. And my ex-husband was all about her. Like he was the happiest. I mean, instantly he was already thinking about like building a house with her and her kids and like, you know, enough bedrooms for all the kids. And he was just over the moon and, and I loved it for him. And so our co-parenting was so good for a minute because he was, he was truly happy. And so we had agreed upon a custody schedule, this, that, the other for, you know, 50, 50 custody. Cause although we have our differences, I was never going to deprive my son of his dad. Um, you know, so it was just a 50, 50 agreement on my part right away. And so, but then the girlfriend broke his heart and it was really sad. And then my ex-husband was just bitter and angry. And so then he started dating another girl and I, you know, like I was happy for that. I was like, okay, like we'll get back on track. Like, you know, his mood will be better. And, um, everything was really good. I, you know, I, got her kids Christmas presents. I even got her a Christmas present. I got her Lulu lemon for Christmas and my family was super welcoming to her. And then after a few months of her getting comfortable, my ex-husband called me one day and he was like, my girlfriend doesn't like how well we get along. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, I thought she liked me. Like her and I would text this, that, and the other, I would thank her for being so sweet to my son and good to my ex-husband. And then she got a little bit more comfortable. And then I got that phone call and I was like, I can't believe this. And, you know, so it was, it changed our dynamic entirely. And then due to her insecurities, he has now been the worst to deal with that I ever even, I ever even saw coming because she has basically created a wedge and he would tell me, you know, he would vent to me about how she treats her ex-husband, her kid's father. And he would say, he was like, she's nothing but drama. Like the way, the way she talks to him, you know, it's all nasty. And he, he said, he literally said, she's nothing but drama. And then now he is like, she's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. She's an amazing mom. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, you would vent to me about how she's not a great mom and how she's nothing but drama. And so now it's, it's just completely flip-flopped. So our dynamic has changed and she has been calling my son, her son. And that's been hurtful too, because I, I have always told her like, I welcome you as a stepmom, but it's not only disrespectful to me, it's disrespectful to my son. And so now my ex-husband basically is, in this life where they would do anything to basically keep me alienated. Um, I, it's hurtful, honestly, Steve, like our dynamic, like I'll see the fact that she'll fill out certain forms that come home with my son and she'll put herself as the parent with, with my son's father. And it's just like, it, 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 it's, gotten to a point where it's worse than I ever foresaw it. And I really, I really wish he was with his ex-girlfriend. <laughs> I really liked that girl. Wow. So that's fucking, that's what I'm dealing with right now. And it, it sucks. It's, it's the worst feeling ever to 
experience daily. I mean, I was going to say, like, I don't even know what, what you do from here because it just seems like this is it seems like he's just never we, we we've obviously as an audience even saw things. It just seems like there's never going to be any sort of happiness there where there's just a calmness two people co-parenting and things are going along great. It just seems like there's a, a constant issue uh, coming from his side. You know, obviously I'm hearing your side right now, but it really does seem like you're doing what you can and he's the one that just has an issue with, you know, your success online. I mean, I that's the impression I get is that he really is not happy um, with the fact that you've become s- successful just by being an online persona, being, you know, your TikTok having almost a million followers, I'm sure he doesn't like that at all. You're right. Um, so that's what's hard is for me, Steve, I have nothing to hide. Like I have text messages, I have receipts. I truly, all I want is 50-50 shared time with each other because that's what's best for our son. And I want kind of just minimal, minimal interaction between him and I so that he can live his life. I can live mine, but we both equally share our son. And so for me, I have nothing to hide because that's, it's literally in writing on me saying, I want, I want, I don't want to rob you of time and I don't want to rob myself of time. I want it to be fair. And he doesn't want that because again, he is so angry that I left you know even when I was broke and struggling he was like well then you can come back to me and I I want it I would rather I'd rather be poor than to come back to a loveless relationship and every single kind of argument that we have or anytime we're even talking about our son he manages to bring up my social media he needs he feels a need to bring it up and because for some reason it bothers him so much that I I have a following and he's like, you're an internet bully. I'm like, no, I, I'm an internet vigilante. I am a bully's bully. And that's why you are triggered. Like what I've noticed throughout my social media, you'll never catch me bullying anybody on the internet. And if I'm ever being a bitch or putting someone in their place, it shows their comment to me. It shows their hate comment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's the proof is in the pudding. And so the only people that get triggered by that are bullies. Bullies don't like to be intimidated. They like to intimidate. And so when they, when they come my way and they see, oh, well, fuck, I can't get away with like hating on this person. Just like with my ex-husband, he, he's so triggered by my social media and my success and like, you know, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm like successful, but it's the fact that I haven't fallen flat on my face. It drives them nuts to the core. And I think it's like hurt people, hurt people. Right. And that's why I feel like if you're genuinely happy, if you're genuinely happy and genuinely happy in your relationship, why do you need to bring up my social media when we're just talking about what time we're going to exchange our son? <laughs> to me, it makes no sense. I'm like, what does my social media have to do with meeting at six o'clock or six thirty? <laughs> well, you're, so, and you're good at that on social media. Anyone that follows you on TikTok and even on your Instagram and your Instagram stories. You will call people out, but you're calling them out by showing what they have said to you, either through a, a DM that they sent you or through a comment that they sent you. People, um, there's one woman in particular that really just loves to just <laughs> say negative stuff about you, and you constantly call her out. Like, you won't do it on your own, which is good. Um, Thank you. I think more people, 
not only should more people call the trolls that make mean and nasty comments about them, those accounts should be posted so other people can chime in and get that person Mm -hmm. to just annoy that person to the point where they're just like either stop saying mean things online or they just delete their account, you know? Um, Yeah. But you're really good at that. Well, and I thank you. I appreciate that. And you know, Steve, I mean, you have a bit, you have a big following, you're a big podcaster, you know, and every single person with a platform or that is even just putting themselves out there is subjected to trolls and secure trolls on the internet, right? Like we've all experienced it. And so, so many people would say or suggest, oh, don't give the trolls any, any attention. Don't pay them no mind. And for me, what I've learned throughout the years is there's, there's not a single troll that makes me lose sleep at night over what they said. Like, I don't think about what they say. It's more so what I've noticed as my platform on, on TikTok specifically is there are oftentimes where a troll is like a repeat offender and it'll be because you can look up their username and you look up and you can see pretty much all their hate comments that anyone has done a video reply to. And so that's when I get fucking mad because I'm like, it's not what they say to me. It's the fact that this person has potentially succeeded in hurting other people. And because people have put themselves out there on the internet and tried to be vulnerable or authentic and then they get bullied and then they cry and their feelings are hurt. I don't fucking like that. And so to me, it's like, I make it my damn duty at that point. Like once they've come into the lion's den, now I'm like, oh, I will retire your ass. And that's kind of where I get so, I get so, I guess, hostile as a vigilante because I'll get a troll. And, and again, like you said, it, I would never, I don't go out of my way and leave anyone hate comments. Someone could post a video of them being, being whatever that I disagree with. And unless you're hurting children and animals, I'm not going to fucking say anything. But if you come on my page and say something, I will expose you. I will expose the fact. I mean, like literally I had a girl that tried to say some shit And I was like, you work at fucking Arby's. You literally work at Arby's. Like there's a rap, one of my favorite rap songs from Sean is about you. (laughs) And so, and again, she was a repeat of it. She's trolled many other people and she deleted her account after that. So I take pride in standing up for myself. You know, to me, it's, it's, it never hurts my feelings. The only people who have the ability to hurt my feelings are people that I personally know and love. They have the ability. I'm very sensitive and vulnerable to people that I know and love. But, I mean, if you were to ever see what the person looks like that is behind the keyboard, I'm like, look at look at your life compared to mine. I I'm, I'm, think I'm doing okay. I'll sit in my seat still. <laughs> well, this was uh, one hell of an almost uh, two-hour conversation covering uh your book covering um everything that's gone on in your life up until then i you know people got a taste of you on the show and then a taste of you a little bit more uh last week when we had you on talking about your experience but uh, i think this almost two hour convo is is i think more what people wanted people needed to hear uh about you because we only see so much uh when we're presented somebody on a television show Mm -hmm. and to kind of get this whole background on you this book as i've told everybody numerous times it's called cinderella girl you can get it on amazon um it's a very quick read as i told you i got i finished it in three hours from the time it arrived (laughs) at my doorstep 
Um, it was <laughs> it was it was a quick read, but it was also at times very tough to read because I don't wish anybody's childhood to be like yours. I mean, let's be let's be real here. You had a horrible childhood, and um, but the fact that you have made it out of that and made something of yourself from it because you could have gone a completely completely different direction based on yeah. the way you were raised. Uh, so uh, I applaud you. Um, I'm glad I've gotten to know you through this. Uh, and anybody, again, if you're interested in reading a book, it's called Cinderella Girl. It's on Amazon. Uh, Casey, thank you so much for coming on and just being so open and vulnerable about your life, both in the book and in this podcast. Well, thank you, Steve. I mean, I, I want to thank you, too, even just for taking the time to – have women like me on your podcast. It says a lot about you. Um, honestly, like this is such a, a beautiful part about you to the core that you would even consider having women like me with a voice like me, a situation like me and a path like me to even be able to be on your podcast to speak on this because it truly does mean so much to me if there's anyone that can relate to my situation. And it means so much to me that you took the time from your platform to speak about this publicly as well so thank you well th uh, you're welcome and uh, I, I loved having you on these last couple weeks um and i i love the fact that more people are going to get to know like the real casey costa based on uh, on what they heard today so again casey thank you so much uh good luck in the future with everything and we will obviously be, be in touch thank you steve have a good day you too all right bye Thank you so much to Casey uh, for coming on and sharing her story. Like I said, I hope you guys, I know it was long. I know it was an hour and 45 minutes, but I hope you took the time to listen to that because I couldn't be more impressed with her. And I think after listening to that for an hour and 45 minutes, and then you compare that to what you watched on television uh, this year, it's just like, it's almost two different people. You know, uh, I just think that she's amazing and all the props go out to Casey Costa for being able to overcome that in her childhood and get to where she is today. So again, thank you so much to her. Uh, I really appreciate her coming on. I appreciate you listening. Please follow along, rate and review. If you want to follow along on my Vegas adventures this weekend, follow me on at reality, Steve. I think the story that I've been alluding to the last couple days is going to break today. I will t retweet it, repost it, also talk about it on tomorrow's Daily Roundup. That's probably going to be a majority of what I talk about since I'll be on the road. I just don't probably have 20 minutes in me. There's just not enough news. I probably won't be paying attention to a lot of stuff, but, uh, but that story. So, uh, again, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. So, for Casey Costa, I'm Reality Steve. I appreciate you listening and following, and I will talk to you tomorrow. See you!